So today we are reading uh, from Psalm 107, verses 1 through 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadows of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is uh, to be able to be together and to be able to sing uh, your praises and uh, even to be able to honor Aaron. And what a blessing that is uh, for us uh, to be able to recognize him and uh, what you have done through him. Father, we thank you for the chance to turn now to your word. And even as we just uh, heard read, we had the chance to give thanks to you, our Lord. So God, we love you. We need you. We pray that you'll bless these moments that we share and that you will uh, use your word in a powerful way in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, today is uh, Father's Day. It's a chance for us to tell our dads uh, thank you. And so I am really grateful for that uh, and grateful to be a father. Certainly one of my greatest uh, honors and privileges uh, here. Chat, we um, I'm so blessed to be able to uh, tell my dad thanks. Uh, I have a lot to be thankful for uh, in my home and my upbringing, and I'm so blessed there. One of the, the greatest things I have to be thankful for my dad to do, and the example is uh, this right here, what I'm doing, standing up in front of people and talking about Jesus and talking about the Bible. My dad is not a pastor. He's a veterinarian, uh, but from the time I was two until I left uh, home to go to college, my dad taught my Sunday school class. And so uh, I watched him week in, week out with a yellow legal pad at his desk or the dining room table preparing Bible study lessons. And then I watched him week in, week out stand in front of a, a small group of kids, no matter how rowdy we were, and tell us what the Bible says about God. And um, that's just the greatest yeah, example I could have in a dad. And I'm just so thankful for that and very blessed. And, uh, and I, I, I couldn't say thanks to my dad enough. Uh, for those things. But I, I do recognize that uh, today is not a, a, a completely positive day for everybody. There's lots of brokenness in all of our relationships, and uh, especially when it comes to our dad. So many uh, of you have had different experiences, maybe more challenging or more traumatic in some ways or shapes. And uh, ideally, the way it's meant to be is that our earthly fathers are meant to be a reflection of our heavenly father. But now that I am a father, an earthly father, I recognize just how daunting uh, of a, a standard that is. 
And so I'm grateful that today we are not left just with human examples of earthly fathers for us to be able to understand what our heavenly father is like. We have the word of God to give us an example and a description of what our heavenly father is like. Mother's Day was our first day uh, this summer looking at the book of Psalms together in what we're calling a Summer Psalms playlist. And so for two weeks, we talked about God's steadfast love. And then we started a series looking at uh, different Psalms that talk about God as King and all that that means as He reigns over all. And we called that part two, Sing to the King. Well, today, uh, as we come to this third part of this Summer Psalms playlist, I I want to recognize that that steadfast love is not just a, a mother's ability or calling. It is, in fact, for our fathers as well and something that our Heavenly Father reflects. And so for uh, this third part of this series, we're calling it the love of a father. Because truthfully, all of us need the love of a father. That is a, a, a part of our heart and soul that we were created with, that we need that love. And all of us, none none of us get it perfectly on earth, but all of us have access to our Heavenly Father who is perfect. This morning on Father's Day, I want to point you to that perfect love, the perfect fatherly love, and do so by looking at Psalm 107. As Scott just read for us in verse 1, it starts with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever being kind of the the theme of Father's Day of saying thanks to our dad. Here, the Psalms call us to turn to our Heavenly Father and say, thank you. Thank the Father for His forever love. Thank the Father for His forever love. We spent some time on this word uh, steadfast. We have done this, uh, it's come up over and over again through our studies just in the last couple months. And so if you've been around, you've seen this word, hesed, this Hebrew word. It's God's unconditional unshakable, promised, never going to leave you, loyal love. It's steadfast. It's immovable. It's never going away. That's the kind of love that our Heavenly Father has for us. It's the love that's supposed to be of a father. And the Bible tells us that this love endures forever. There is nothing and no one that will ever stop this love. It's the perfect love of a father. And that's because God, at His very core, at His very being, He is love. God is eternal. He has always existed. And Jesus, His Son, is eternally begotten. He has always existed. Three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Father, God the Son. There has never been a time when God the Father did not love God the Son, and God the Son did not love God the Father. That has always been and always will be. So that's why we can say that love just isn't just something God does. It's something He is. God is love. So as we look to our eternal Father, He is the very definition of love. Because there has never been a time when He didn't perfectly love the Son. And then as He created us, He shared that with us. This psalm is written when the people of God had a a tremendous opportunity to recognize the love of a Father, of our Heavenly Father. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. So the psalm is calling out to people that have been redeemed, that have come out of a hardship, who have been brought out of captivity. And verse 3 tells us which captivity that was. It says, And gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. 
So the most probable reference here is to the time in the Old Testament when God's people had been scattered away from Israel and then he had miraculously brought them back. About 600 years before Christ, God allowed and sent a foreign nation, Babylon, to come and to wipe out God's people. And the only reason he did that is because for generations and generations, really ever since the garden, but especially since King Solomon, generation after generation turned their back on God. Hundreds and hundreds of years, God pleaded and waited, begging his people to come back to him. And they would for a little while and then fall back even worse. And so about 600 years before Christ, Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem. And the people are scattered all across the world, especially a big group of them go to the foreign city of Babylon. But about 70 years later, God works another miracle and allows Babylon to be destroyed. And God's people are allowed to come back into the land. And as they're coming back into the land, there's so much of the Old Testament that is written celebrating and and telling the story of that incredible moment as they're coming back to celebrate that over all that the people had done, He is bringing them back together because He's our Heavenly Father who loves us forever, no matter what, the good times and the bad. So Psalm 107 starts by, by inviting us to give thanks to this Lord, our Father, the Father who has a forever love. Today, maybe as you're here, you're, you're, you're not feeling especially thankful. Or maybe as you're watching online and there may be other things going on in, in your life and maybe, maybe thanks to God is, is not the, the first part of what you're thinking today. Maybe that's not quick access in your emotions. Maybe you've got a lot of other things covering that up. And so we want to turn to Psalm 107, not just for this command or this theme of giving thanks Psalm 107 also has a whole lot of motivation. That if we'll let Psalm 107 sink into our hearts, it'll draw out the thanksgiving that God deserves. Psalm 107 has a a powerful structure that you'll see that's worth noticing here. I had Scott only read the first 16 verses here, but really we're going to go all the way through uh, the first 32 verses. And so if you have a a copy of God's Word, you may see this uh, pattern as we go through it. You can see it for yourself. You'll notice that verse 6 is identical to verse 13 and verse 19 and verse 28. The same thing is repeated four times. The same is true of verse 8. It is repeated verbatim, exactly, in verse 15, 21, and 31. Again, four times. That's because in this psalm, there are these four sections that have the same pattern to them. Have you ever told you that I love when the Bible repeats itself so that I can try to understand it? Four times this psalm repeats the same pattern so that you and I can understand and be motivated. If one time's not enough, two times, four times to motivate our hearts to give thanks to our Heavenly Father. And the first part of this pattern that we'll go through, it shows up all four times, is that we as people get into trouble. And it's not just one kind of trouble, remember? Because I said we're going through four times. So this pattern, four times over, is a way of saying... We get into all kinds of trouble as people, don't we? We get into all kinds of trouble. Let's look at these four different kinds of trouble. The first group is wandering in the wilderness. And you'll notice that each of these sections starts with the word some in most modern translations to help you follow this pattern. Verse 4, some wandered in deserts, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. So this could be a literal desert like Moses and the people of Israel for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, or the people when they left exile, going to Babylon, wandering 
in pain and in anguish. Sometimes there's uh, physical deserts, physically that we are struggling and physically without food, water, or shelter. Or it could be spiritually that we're in a very dry place with no nourishment, no water, no food, and we feel like everything is falling apart. Maybe it's unforeseen circumstances that just spit us out and we feel like we're in the wilderness and we're just wandering. And that wilderness leads to weariness. Verse 5 says it ends with their soul fainted within them. You see, that's not just a physical description of not having enough food or water. That's talking about your, your spirit, your emotions, you're overwhelmed. It's an emotional weariness that comes from struggling internally and externally with things that are around you. Walking through a desert is one thing. Walking through a desert emotionally and spiritually maybe even harder. Maybe you've never been to the point where you're malnourished and feel like you could be struck down by the sun because you're walking out in the desert and you feel like you're physically going to fall apart. But I imagine many more of us have walked through that desert spiritually and emotionally. It's good to know that the Bible addresses that kind of moment when it feels like everything is falling apart and life, you just don't know if it's worth living because you're just so malnourished. You feel like you're about to die. Deserts are not places to hang out. They're places to hurry up and get through. And yet this psalmist describes when they were just wandering aimlessly. And that can be how it feels sometimes spiritually. That's the first group, this first kind of trouble. We all get into all kinds of trouble, though. So it's not just the desert spiritually that can lead us into anguish. It can also be the sea. I go to the, the fourth group listed, this fourth kind of time through this pattern, uh, starting in verse 28, because it's similar, like the first group is lost in the desert. Here, this fourth group is lost out at sea. Verse 23, some went, out, uh, went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. So he's picturing a group of merchants or traders, and they're just going about their regular business. They get into the boat, and they're ready to go about their trade, ready to go about and do their job, just like they've done countless times before. But this time, it doesn't go so well. Things don't go quite like they want them to. They saw the wondrous works of God, but not the kind of works they wanted to see. God spoke, and a storm came up. Verse 26 describes that they mounted up to the heavens and they went down into the depths. This is a picture of waves that are so high, it's turning their boat almost completely vertical where it's looking up at the heavens and then completely the other way where it looks like it's going to sink down to the bottom. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunk men and they were at their wits end. They couldn't keep the ship steady enough for them to even be able to stand up. That's how bad the ship was swaying. Their wits here is literally their wisdom. They, they put all their skill into lead, guiding this ship, and yet their, their wisdom wasn't enough. Their skill was not powerful enough to steer this ship through the storm. They were completely overwhelmed by it. Didn't matter how good they were, the storm was bad enough that it was overwhelming them. There was absolutely nothing they could do. Again, maybe some of you literally have been stuck out at sea in a storm like that, where you feared for your life. But perhaps many more of us have been thrown into circumstances that felt like being in the middle of a hurricane, where you used all your wisdom, all your might, all your, your, your training and practice, all your preparation, and it wasn't enough. You're at your wit's end, and you're in trouble. 
That's another kind of trouble, isn't it? The third one talks about the trouble of being in prison. Verse 10, some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. It's the trouble of being incarcerated. Sometimes we're lost in a world too wide, like being out in a desert, there's nothing around to help you, or the sea when you can't find shore. But this is the opposite problem. Things are too small. It's closing in around you. You have nowhere you can go. But there's something different about this group. Here we're told that this group earned their trouble. Verse 11, For they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They directly went against God's words. They directly went against the highest authority of all. They chose willfully to disobey Him and rejected Him. So verse 12, He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. If you rebel against the highest authority, you can't appeal to somebody above Him to try to change the decision. They have have gone against the very highest one. And so they are imprisoned, a place they earned because of their sin against the authority. Can I tell you something I love about being in infinity? I love pastoring a church where there are multiple people who have been imprisoned. You know, you know why I, I, I enjoy that? Because these people who have turned their life over to Christ and shared their stories with me, they don't pretend to have it all together. You, you don't pretend like, hey, I've, I've lived a perfect life. Truthfully, none of us have. Some people are just better at admitting that than others. Some of us don't want to admit that before Christ, all of us were incarcerated. All of us had hearts that were trapped by the walls around us. All of us had hearts that were dying. Nowhere to go before Christ changed it. Our rejection of Christ puts us, in the words of Psalm 107, in the shadows of death. We're, we're, We're destined for the grave. Our rebellion against God's word has earned us the affliction of carrying around chains, unable to go free. We're imprisoned by sin before Christ. And that's another kind of trouble that we get into. There's one more, four kinds of trouble. Desert, seas, prison, and sickness. This last group is a group of fools, it describes. And a fool in the Bible is not just somebody who's not as intelligent or as silly A fool in the Bible is someone who directly and deliberately goes against God. And the Bible describes that as foolish because God is God. He knows everything. For us to pretend like we know better or can do better just is foolish. It's not smart. And that's the way the Bible describes this group of people. This fool is a fool by his own choice of following his own path to destruction. And it's described that that path, it leads to a place of Sickness. Verse 18, they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. It's a sickness that that makes it where they can't eat. They're just so overwhelmed by going against God foolishly that nothing seems good. And they're drawing close to death itself. It's like they're leaning up against the gate of death, about to fall into it. Some of you, and I I didn't know Caitlin was going to share that today, so that fits perfectly. Some of you have lived through a physical sickness that brought you where you felt like you were leaning up against the gate of death. And that overwhelming sense of just, ugh. The closest thing I have to that is a bad stomach bug. You know what I mean? Like, if you haven't been up to like a real bad sickness, but you've had a bad stomach bug, 
where, you know, once it's all gone, your stomach is still like just, oh, you just can't take it. And you just feel like you want to die because you just feel miserable. And here, the psalmist is describing the foolishness of going against God is like that kind of sickness. It just, it just leads you to a point where you're, you, just would, you just don't want to make it. You don't want to make it. For sinning against God is this deadly, deadly sickness, and it's foolish. So I, I hope that you'll concede the point that we get into all kinds of trouble, don't we? <laughs> Whether it be a desert, a sea, a prison, or sickness, in a literal or spiritual sense, we as humanity are prone to wander out in the desert, out in the ocean, into prisons, and to foolishly go against God Himself and to the point where it overwhelms us physically. At times you may go through a really dry season in life and it feels like your soul is fainting. At times you may go about your regular business of life and then a storm comes and threatens everything. Other times we can't point the finger at anybody except for ourselves because our own sin and rebellion and rejection leads us to the confines of a prison cell or to gut-wrenching sickness. That's the foolishness of going against God. We get into all kinds of troubles, and I, I hope you see that. I hope you see that in your own life. I hope you can admit it and say, yeah, I, I, I'm the one that needs help. I, I'm one of those people. I need it. For some people, the hardest three words in the English language are, I was wrong. That can be so hard to say. But the Bible says if we can't get there, then we'll never get past that point. I was wrong. Don't be one of those people who pretend they always have it together. We could just be honest. None of us have it together. All of us get ourselves in trouble. And what I love about Psalm 107 is, is as varied as those experiences are, and, and as varied as all of our experiences are, all the different kinds of trouble we all get ourselves into, the solution is the same. This pattern, as you go through these four sections of Psalm 107, all the different problems are different. But the solution is the same. And that's this. No matter the trouble we're in, cry out to the Lord. No matter what trouble we're in, cry out to the Lord. We get in all kinds of trouble. But no matter what trouble you're in, the solution is the same. Cry out to the Lord. I mentioned those repeated verses. All four times through this psalm, we get to the, the point where things change for better in each situation. It's in verse 6, 13, 19, 28. All of them say this identically. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They're wandering in the desert. They're lost at sea. They're stuck in prison. And they're so sick they want to die. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. In all four cases, the group realizes they need God for help. They can't make it on their own. They're not gone too far for God to help them. They haven't gotten out of His control. We haven't bitten off more than God can chew. We aren't in over His head. We aren't at the point past where He can make us return. And maybe most significantly, we aren't unlovable. We aren't unlovable. No matter who you are, no matter what wilderness you've walked in, no matter what desert or sea you've been in, you're not unlovable. Because your Father has a forever love. And if we can see Him for who He is, then we can cry out to Him for help in our deepest troubles. 
Sometimes it takes being desperate to be able to cry out to God, doesn't it? Jimmy McMillan, I asked him this morning. He, he didn't know I was going to do this. It was already written down. He texted me a picture of the sunrise from Myrtle Beach. And I said, hey, since you're texting me, I'm going to ask permission to quote you. I was going to quote him either way. But he did give me permission, and he corrected my quotes. So that was good. Jimmy McMillan, he says that sometimes we shouldn't stop somebody on the way down. Don't deny them a good, solid bottom. Because only after you hit rock bottom can you come back up. He says, catch them on the bounce. Sometimes we got to get desperate. We got to be lost at sea. We got to be lost in the desert. We got to be in prison. We got to be so sick to the, we're at the point of death before we even cry out for help. And if we never get to the bottom, we don't, we don't cry out for help. That's why God allows those kind of things so many times through Israel's history, through our lives. You got to get to the bottom so that you'll turn and cry out to help. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, some people will never pray till they're half starved or for their best or, or for their best interest. It is better for them to be empty and faint than to be full and stout hearted. If hunger brings us to our knees, it's more useful than feasting. If thirst gives us to, drives us to the fountain, it is better than the deepest depths of worldly joys. If fainting leads to crying to God, it is better than the strength of the mighty. If our trouble, if the wilderness leads us to crying out to the Lord in faith, then it's worth it. It's worth it. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are, how bad you think things are. Whatever the primary cause of it, whether it's something out there or something in here, if it leads us to crying out to God, then that's where God begins to move in a mighty way. No matter the trouble you're in, cry out to the Lord. He is the solution. And this is why this is so important. This is why I think he repeats this four times through. Because when we cry out to the Lord, what we're saying is, I believe he can help me. Sometimes all the other things have to be stripped away. But then it's, we get to a point where we say, I believe he can help me. I'll tell you, one of the greatest joys of being a, a pastor is to walk with you through trials. And, you know, frequently, weekly, I have messages or, or calls that ask me to pray for you through a trial. And I love doing that. Please keep doing that. You know, one phone call I've never gotten, I've never gotten a phone call that says, hey, Philip, I'm out on this boat in the middle of a hurricane. Can you make it stop? Nobody ever asked me to stop the storm. You asked me to pray with you through it as you're praying, but nobody thinks I can stop the storm. When we pray to God and we ask God to stop it, what we're saying is, I believe he's the one that has the authority. He has the power to stop it. And sometimes it's being desperate that we cry out and we say, I, now I know. Now I know only God can fix it. So when you cry out to the Lord, what we're doing is we're expressing faith. We believe in God. When we cry out to God, we're saying, I, I believe in him. I trust him. I know he has this authority. And this is the faith. That, that faith says this about the God we serve. It says, the Lord delivers from all kinds of trouble. The Lord delivers from all kinds of trouble. We get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And no matter the trouble, cry out to the Lord, because this is who the Lord is. The Lord is the one who delivers from all kinds of trouble. Again, the problems were different. The answer is the same, crying out to Him, and God's response is the same. 
That's the other verse that's repeated four times through, 6, 13, 19, and 28. All the verses are identical. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. In all four situations, the people are dire situations. They're crying out to God. They cry out, and he delivers. The one who is wandering in the wilderness is found and retrieved. Verse 7, it says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. You're out in the desert, and God is the one that showed up and held your hand and brought you to the city to a place of rest. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Again, maybe it's a literal desert, but spiritually, if you've been through a desert, what you need is for somebody to come alongside you, to guide you back to a wellspring of water, to lead you to a source of life, and say, you can rest here. You're safe. You're not alone. God may deliver you in a season of emotion through support from somebody like a mentor or a pastor or a counselor. God can send people alongside you to come and to help you because He is our deliverer. For those that went through the storm, He is the one that rescues the storm-tossed. The same Lord who commanded the wind and the waves. Remember, He sent the storm. Read it. Psalm 17. He sent the storm. He's also the one that makes it stop. Verse 29, He made the storm be still and the waves of the seas hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. The storms of of life may seem totally unbearable, but the Lord doesn't even have to strain to stop them. He just speaks, and it stops. The prisoners, they're released. They're freed. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, And he burst their bonds apart, their chains, their shackles. They're gone forever. Though we absolutely deserve to be in prison, God pays the ransom price. And he brings us out forgiven and freed. And the sick, they're healed. Back in verse 11, God's people, it was God's word that they had rejected. Remember that? And then here in verse 20, speaking of these that are sick, it says, he sent out his word and he healed them and delivered from their destruction. Deliverance comes to all these different people in their darkest and deepest moments as they cried out for despair. And the Lord who has the authority to deliver brings them back to life. They cried out with faith, even just foxhole faith. And it's enough for God to show up and to intervene. Why, why would God do that? Why does God step in when we haven't earned it? We haven't deserved it. There's nothing in our lives that would say that we've earned this spot for God to show up and to help us. How could we describe this God who continues to rescue us time and time again? The only way you could describe this kind of love is it's the love of a father, a forever love, a steadfast love. Love, an unshaking, unconditional, always and forever type love. And as much as we should thank God for His forever love that He's always had, when we have these moments of coming through despair and we cry out and He shows up, then all the more reason for us to be drawn into thanksgiving back to God. That's why I said if you came in today, maybe not all that anxious or ready or eager, to say thanks to God. Maybe we just had to let the Word of God seep into our hearts and remind us of all the different reasons we have to be thankful. 
Because God's steadfast love, His forever love, isn't just something in the Bible or in the past. It's something He has shown to us. And so today, my my call to you today is to thank the Father for showing His steadfast love. Thank the Father for showing His steadfast love. The verse is repeated in verse 8, 15, 21, 31. I'll say this, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Wondrous works is the same phrase that shows up with a sea. They saw the sea. They were going up and down. Those are a wondrous work. Here's a wondrous work. God's steadfast love through it all. He has the power and the authority, and He shows it to you in love. Sometimes it's hard to say thank you because we just don't see it. But God made extra sure that we would never miss it. You see, God doesn't just show us His steadfast love from afar, from a distance. No, He came to earth to show us that steadfast love. He didn't just look at our troubles from up above. He came and He lived those very same troubles. You remember what they were? Because Jesus, when He came, He wandered in a desert for 40 days, tempted by the devil. Jesus went out on a boat in the middle of a storm, And he quieted it with a word. Even though Jesus never rebelled against the word of God or spurned the counsel of the Most High, even still he became a prisoner for our afflictions. And even though he never once acted foolishly, he never once committed iniquity, still he was overcome with a gut-wrenching sickness one night in a garden to the point where he was stricken with grief and he was leaning up against the gates of death itself. And the next day, he willingly went through those gates so you and I don't have to. Jesus died so that everyone who cries out to the Lord in their trouble can be delivered from the darkness. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were the greatest display ever of God's wondrous works. So because of Him, we can cling to the Father in His forever love. And we can spend this Father's Day thanking our dads, but even more importantly, thanking our Heavenly Father for His forever love. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to be reminded today of your steadfast love. God, we look to our own hearts and lives, and we see ourselves in this psalm over and over again. Times where we have wandered, times where we've been led astray, times where circumstances have been challenging, and times where our own sin has gotten us deep into trouble. But God, I pray that our where we see ourselves in this psalm wouldn't stop there, but that we would cry out to you, depend on you for deliverance, and give you all the thanks for the ways that you heal us and save us. God, we do thank you so much for our earthly fathers. God, we pray for grace as fathers who don't reflect you like we should so often. But God, we're thankful for the way that men in our lives have pointed us to your forever steadfast love. And we pray that as we sing even now, 
will do so with a heart of thanksgiving, rejoicing over you. I want to give you just one more moment to pray to God today. Whether you're here or watching online. And I just pray that as you're reminded of our Heavenly Father, you'd be mindful of His steadfast forever love. That you'd be reminded that we have so much to be thankful for. Maybe today you want to come to the altar or come pray with me or pray there in your home. Or pray there in your seat and say, God, here's some ways I have not remembered your love. And here's some ways I want to say thanks to you today. I invite you to respond in thanksgiving. Lord, come and move in our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen.